If you would, we are two sermons left in the book of Hebrews. And so if you would, will you grab your Bibles, stand with me, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be studying verses 7 through 16. So please stand as we read God's Word for God's people. Hebrews 13, 7 through 16 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, one of the great things about waking up uh, Sunday mornings is I get to see the, the sun rise in the east. And it just reminds me of Lamentations 3, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Just to think about that. The love of God never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. Always extended to those in Christ. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Lord, we have no other hope but by You. So thank you for making yourself known through your son, Jesus Christ. His life lived in our place. His death died on the cross for our sins and his resurrection to show us that he truly was the Messiah, the Savior, the one to come to save us from our sins. And in him is fullness of life and pleasures forevermore. And so, Lord, uh, for uh, those of us that that know that, Lord, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. For those of you that might not know Jesus and you're here, Lord, I pray that the Lord would break into your heart and that you would bend your knee to King Jesus. That you would repent of your sins and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. I don't know about you, but uh, this week for some reason it seemed like that spring finally is here, right? All of a sudden you're driving down the streets and those trees that were just branches now have leaves on them. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. Anyone anyone recognize that this week? Yes and amen. All right, good, good. It's change. It's change. We've gone from the winter, we're here now into the spring, and we're for like a day, and then we're right into summer, right? It's here. I want to ask you a question about change. How do you do with change? How how, how 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 do you handle change? And I guess the question is, is like, well, it depends on what the change is, right? Right? Depends on what's happening. Am I getting older? Am I putting on more weight? What is that change? One said this, in general, change freaks people out. They'd rather do public speaking than than face any kind of change. 
Who's, who says yes and amen to that? Raise their hand. A couple of you, right? Well, change we know is a broad term. It could, it could mean a, m- a multitude of different things. Uh, school is coming to an end, and so there's going to be a lot of change. All of a sudden, the kids that were in school are not going to be at the house. They're going to be home all summer, right? Uh, some of your kids will be going from elementary school to middle school, from middle school to high school, from high school to college, from college to the workforce. There's a, there's a lot of change happening in a lot of our families there. Perhaps you just moved into a new house. That's change. Maybe you're starting a new job. That's change. Maybe, maybe something wonderful has happened to you. You added a baby to the family, or, or you added your, your, your first baby and some of you mothers and fathers now are recognizing that your sleep patterns have changed a little bit, right? Or maybe something tragic has happened. You've had a death in the family. And, and you have holidays that are going to be coming up. Memorial Day, and then you're going to have Thanksgiving, and we're going to have Christmas, and, and there's going to be a change there that that, that that mom, that dad, that grandma, that aunt, that uncle, that brother, that sister is, is there, is no longer there. Change. Change can be hard, and I think one of the main reasons why change is hard is because it upsets our routine. It, 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 we, we enter to the unknown. It, it, it disrupts our routine, what we, what we know to do day in and day out. Change requires an adjustment, an adjustment in our lives. And any adjustment, whether it's positive or negative, can cause stress. Change can be scary. Well, this morning... We probably come to the one of the most known, if not the most popular passage in the book of Hebrews, and it has to do with change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Many of us have probably clung to this verse again over the last couple years with all the change that has happened in our world, in our country, in our city, and in our lives dealing with COVID and other things. But here's the thing, while our circumstances might have changed, my our my, the way our weight might have changed, or while our jobs might change, or our health might change, there's one thing that never changes. There's one thing that is constant, and that is Jesus. Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way He calls us to worship Him never changes. It's been the same for the past 2,000 years. For the past 2,000 years, what has not changed is if you and I have been saved by the grace of God in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, then there are kingdom ethics in which we are called to obey, follow, lived out in our lives, in our families. And this is what Hebrews 13 is all about. The last chapter of Hebrews 13 is a bunch of kingdom ethics, kingdom principles that we are commanded to live out to lead and to show people the good news and the good news, goodness of God. So that's what we're going to look at, Hebrews 13. And our first point is found in verses 7 through 9. A lifestyle of liturgy is remembrance. Remembrance. A lifestyle of liturgy, remember. Now, Rich did a great job opening us up last week in Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. And he rightly took us back to the last couple verses in Hebrews 12, because that sets the stage in which Hebrews 13 is built upon. Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." I want to focus our attention real quickly on let us offer to God an acceptable 
worship. If, if you are in Christ and if you experience Jesus, and we've been talking about through this whole series of Hebrews, that Jesus is the better prophet. He is the better king. He is the better savior. He is the better sacrifice. Then if that is true, if you've embraced that, then we live our lives with acceptable worship. Romans 12 kind of highlights, says the same thing the author in Hebrews does in Hebrews 12. Romans 12, right? Presents your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for God. Why? This is our spiritual worship. You see the word worship there, acceptable worship. The word worship in, in the original language of the Greek, there's multiple different words for multiple different ways to express worship. And the word used here is a word that means to serve or to the, do the work of service. That's the, that's the definition behind worship. If we are going to worship God acceptably, then we have to do the work in which He has called us to do. This is where we get our word liturgy from. Liturgy. And just like we have a liturgy in our worship service, we, we, we orchestrate it to, to offer our service to God, our worship to God, not to merit anything, but, but to, to praise Him for what He has done for us, then you and I are called to offer up our lives as a liturgy of worship to Him. Then our lives should be orchestrated by the love, the grace, the mercy, the commands of God. That's how we live out and worship God and serve Him. So our lives should have a lifestyle of liturgy to it. And last week, Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, again, we saw a handful of those ways in which our lives reflect the glory of God by showing hospitality, by being compassionate to others in your marriage, in how we observe and handle our finances and money. And this morning we have a couple more, and so let's look at them. Uh, the author adds a couple more ways in which we can worship God with our lives, a lifestyle of liturgy. And first one we see in verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Remember those who spoke the Word of God to you, the, the whole Word of God. It's the general Word from Genesis to Revelation. Remember those leaders who impacted your life for Jesus in the gospel. Well, the question is, well, who are the leaders? Because immediately people think of, of pastors. And right here, it's not necessarily talking about pastors. That's going to come next week when we look at verse 17. Here, it's just general. It could be anyone that has imprinted your life. It's a very general term. And the author says, let us consider, think upon the outcome of their way of life and imitate them. Uh, these people, again, are, it, look, at, it's, it's in the past tense. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. So, so many commentators think that these are people that have passed away. But I think you can also have, these are just people that, that you've known for a really, really long time. It's to look to those men, those women that have been marinated in life. The highs, the lows, the green pastures, the valleys. Who have walked through difficult situations and have come out on the other end. Their faith has been fueled by their faith. They have kept the faith. They have finished the course. Remember them. Remember those individuals. Again, it's not necessarily talking about pastors, though it could be a pastor. When I read this, one of the first thoughts is with a, a pastor that I sat under in college, a guy named Skip Heitzig in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's been ministering for 40 plus years. And he imprinted me with the, the importance of God's Word and expository preaching and going through books of the Bible and how the Word of God is a lamp until my feet and a light until my path. And if I want to be the best 
follower of Christ, if I want to be the best husband, the best friend, the best father, the best pastor, I need to let the Word of God direct and guide me, empowered by His Spirit. So that was one guy I thought about. For, for you, who, who is it that you think about? It could be a grandparent. It could be an aunt. It could be an uncle. It could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be a co-worker. It could be a friend. I think even in, in, in this book, as we've been going through Hebrews, one of the other things I thought about is just go back a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith, that we look back on, on those men and those women and how they walked and served the Lord through good times and through bad. Abraham, Moses, Sarah, David. Look to them. Remember them. Imitate them. Remember your leader. So who comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind today? Again, someone who has imprinted your soul with the love, and the grace, and the passion for Jesus. Let me just encourage you to do this. If they're still alive, shoot them a text. Shoot them a text this week. And just be, man, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for imprinting my life. Thank you for being faithful to Christ. A faithful mentor to show me the love and grace of Christ. Just shoot them a text. As, as we look, as I was thinking about our church, and we have the variety of ages here, but I think if most people looked at us, we'd, we'd say that we're a fairly young church. Many, many of you have come to faith in the last, you know, couple years, five years, ten years, and you say, like, well, I really don't have someone that I've looked up to for a number of years, so, so how can I help, help me, you know, obey this command? And, and one thing I would encourage you guys to do is just find those with a little bit more gray in their hair and ask them out to lunch or coffee, or have them over to your house for dinner, and just ask them questions about their life. Let them share their story, their testimonies, their, their highs, their lows, their difficulties, their successes. How do, you, how do you navigate marriage over 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Well, what's your financial, you know, um, What's your financial philosophies? How, how, how have you lived in a country that has changed so much over the last number of years? Pick their brain. Pick their brain. That's one way. Another way is you could read or listen to biographies. This has been really a food for my soul. Those heroes of the faith, of the, the men and women that I look up to, that to, to, to read their stories. And they're encouraging because it, biographies, again, give you the good, the bad, and the ugly, Right? It shows them where they were great and had great success, but it also shows them where they faltered. It makes them human. It gives us hope. Desiring God has a great uh, bunch of sermons and recommendations and books on biographies. That's a great place where you can stand. So the first thing, if we want to have a lifestyle of liturgy to worship God, we need to remember those who, who led us and pointed us to Jesus and, and imitate their life. And of course, verse 8 it tells us to remember the greatest leader. The one we should think about on a daily basis, minute by minute. Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no one better for us to look to who leads a lifestyle of liturgy than Jesus, right? In fact, he's, he's been walking and serving with the Lord for eternity. So he has a pretty good track record, right? He came down and he lived the perfect life in our place. He, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He's a great person for us to, to look to, to model our lives after, to think upon. 
Because we know in our world, leaders can come and go. We can only depend on them for a short season. But Jesus is the same for yesterday, today, and forever. There is only one who does not change. The theological term here is immutability. Jesus is immutable. He, he's unchanging. His nature, His characteristics are always the same. We can count on Him day in and day out. Now we could talk about this verse for, for a long, long time. Many, many Sundays to come. So let me just highlight a couple of these. First, we notice the author uses both names. It's Jesus and Christ. It's Jesus Christ. It's not just the Christ. It's not just Jesus First, Jesus. Jesus, it, it talks about and embraces the work and the word of, of God's Son on earth. His humanity, He entered in, again, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He came to be our substitute to save us from our sin by living the perfect life in our place. So it talks about His humanity, Christ. Christ is a title. It's not His last name. It's not Jesus Christ like Aaron Santini. Christ is a title, and, and it points to His divinity, it points that he was the Messiah, the Savior. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, both the, the God-man. He is the one that is the same. And it says yesterday. Again, it reminds us, it points us back to, to we look at the work that he has done on our behalf, that he has completed, uh, his active obedience, that he was, again, our substitute, and he fulfilled the law perfectly. His passive obedience, that he was our substitute on the cross. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. We just celebrated Good, Good Friday and Easter. We celebrate the gospel. We do that every day and every Sunday here. But we really highlighted it a couple weeks ago. And we who are saved today through the gospel, those back then were saved the same way. The way that we are saved does not change. It's by repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ and what he has done for us. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and He's the same today. He's the same today, right now. This should encourage your heart maybe more than anything, that right now, at this very moment, we have a high priest interceding for you and for me. He, he's, on our, he's working on our behalf right now, today, in heaven, before God the Father. We know there's an enemy out there, Satan, who, who has his minions, his demons out. And a lot of times we think that Satan is always after us. No, particularly, well, he is. He, he sends him after us, and he tries to cause us to stumble, particularly. But where Satan primarily is, is and known for, is his accusations. He's accuser. He's before the throne of God and saying, oh, see, Aaron, do that again? How could you save him? And this is where we have an intercessor, Jesus, today, intercessing for me. He's our representative extinguishing all the charges brought against me. And he's your mediator. He's your high priest. And he's extinguishing all the, the threats that the enemy is saying against you as well. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. And this gives us hope and security for the future. In a world that is so uh, fluid, changing, here we have a hope and peace. Our, our future is secure because it's found in the forever high priest who is sitting down at the right hand of God. There's no more work for him to be done. He has accomplished redemption for us, and now he's sitting and ruling and causing all things to his end for his glory and for our good. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember him. 
Remember him right now in the situation and the circumstances of life you find yourself in right now. Some of you are walking on green pastures. You're having babies. You bought your new house. You got a great job. You're looking forward towards the summer. Some of you are in some deep, dark valleys right now. You need to remember Jesus. Focus on him. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can face change. No matter what kind of change it is, we cannot be shaken or broken because we are in the hands of a loving king. The first and the last, the one, the first and the last, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. So first, a lifestyle of liturgy is remembrance. It's remembrance those that have taught you and led you in the gospel, but ultimately it's remembering Jesus, that he has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Second, a lifestyle of liturgy that strengthens the heart is grace. Is grace. I love the songs that we sung today, saturated with grace, grace, grace. Verses 9 through 14. And here we see the final warning in the book of Hebrews. We've, we've seen warning after warning. We've seen contrast after contrast of the old covenant and the new covenant again and again of law and grace, the sacrifice of animals, the sacrifice of Christ. And here for the last time, we see it again. Verse 9, look at it. It says, do not, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who distract them. The, the diverse and strange teachings are, are, is not really defined, but we know looking back through the book of Hebrews, it's, it's these ideas that these, these, these Jewish Christians were, were being persecuted and they had thoughts of going back to the old covenant, the old way of life, putting themselves back under the law to escape that persecution. And, and the author is saying, man, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. So that's one of the strange teachings. The others are, are found like in Galatians. The culture around them was trying to turn these Christians to a different gospel, to those in Colossians, these self-imposed laws that were thought to make you more holy, whether it deal with food or drink or festivals or celebration or worship or discipline. Don't, don't fall to those false teachers. So it could be a number of different things. What is it for us? What, what is it for us that the author is warning us to not be led by diverse and strange teachings? What, what, is, what is prickling your ears? What is tingling your ears? What does the enemy put in front of you that is trying to, to lead you astray with strange teachings? And I've been in ministry for over 20 plus years, and I've seen many people get, get sniped by the enemy because they did not contemplate and think on the truths of Scripture, but they but they played with strange teachings. They gave an ear to strange teachings and diverse teachings. I think of, like, of the prosperity gospel. I can think of open theism. I can think of the emergent church. These, these liberal doctrines that have rejected who God is, rejected the sufficiency of Scripture, rejected the doctrine of God and the, the Holy Spirit. Or, or you can even think about it this way. have been... I've seen people wrecked by reading books like the Da Vinci Code, the Shack, the, the, these books that they, they've entertained. Oh, it's a great book. You should read it. And they've kind of questioned their faith through some of this stuff. What is it right now that's, again, trying to cause you to stumble? What strange teachings today? I think as we look at our culture, I think it's, it's pretty evident. The enemy's not even hiding it anymore. 
I mean, a lot of things I think of just our social justice issues that are happening here. I can think about gender and sexuality and marriage, intersectionality, this wokeness, these, 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 these philosophies, these thoughts that are, are redefining the gospel. They're redefining who God is. They're redefining what social justice is in the Scripture. The author here is be on your guard. Do not be led away. Do not be carried away. Do not be enticed by these strange teachings. Remember and think on those who taught you the Word of God. Remember Jesus. See, the bottom line is that any teaching except the grace of God will, not, will strengthen the heart and soul. There's no benefit in these other philosophies or thoughts. Instead, what should we focus on? I've already alluded to it a number of times. We, we focus on what never changes. The gospel of Jesus Christ. His nature. His character. That's what's going to strengthen your soul. That's what's going to give you joy. That's what's going to give you an eye direction in life. God's word, the gospel, and in particular, verse 9, His grace. I don't know about you, but verse 9, it should be highlighted, it should be underlined, it should be underscored. This is one of those golden nuggets in the Bible that no one ever really talks about or memorizes or preaches. You, you should do it. Don't be led uh, away by strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That little phrase, it is good for the heart. The heart is the, is, is, it really means the all-encompassing. It's who you are. It's good for your soul. It's good for Aaron Santini. It's good for you. What is good? God's grace. That's what's going to strengthen you. Not, not, not some certain food, if you eat a certain food, or if you follow a certain law or command. What, what strengthens your heart, what strengthens your soul, is God's grace. So feast on God's grace. Let God's grace nourish your soul. Only the grace of God, found in the gospel and all of its implications, will lead you to growth will strengthen your heart and your soul. I love how one says it this way. He says this, It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Christianity is aimed at the heart. It's not about external formulations, formulas, formalities. And the way the heart is strengthened is by the gospel of grace. Not some magical food or expired rituals, but by the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and what He has done for you. Not what we can do for Christ. So feast on grace this morning. Grace is the fuel that strengthens your soul and my soul and grows it to be strong. I love what Spurgeon says. He says this, Between here and heaven, every minute that the Christian lives will be a minute of grace. That's what sustains us. That's what strengthens us, is the grace of God found in Christ. So here's a test for us this morning. Here's a, here's a test for you. If, the, if you are feasting on grace, or if, you, or if you're feasting on other strange teachings, when you fall, when you sin, what do you initially run to? What, what's, your, what's your first reaction? What do you think of first, how to fix it, what you've just done? Is it food? Is it, is it food? Some people just start eating, try to distract their minds away, thinking that the problem will go away, right? Some people turn to food. Some people turn to shopping. Is it that? Is it, is it jumping on the performance treadmill? Try harder, do better. Lord, uh, I promise this time I will never do that again. 
and you put yourself under the law of God again, is that you show remorse by beating yourself up and whipping yourself in self-pity? Or is it that you find other people whose teachings, who encourage you, say, well, that's okay, that's just the way God has made you? Or do you immediately run to Jesus and the grace of God? Jesus, as your high priest, your mediator, repent of your sins and embrace again the forgiveness that's found only in Him. One of my favorite verses that I memorized long, long time ago is James 4, 6, but He gives a greater what? Grace. He gives a greater grace. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Paul says this way in Romans 5, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. So that sin raised in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One said, though we sin, God's grace goes further. This is how powerful and good grace is. Sin brings about death, but grace brings about eternal life. The gospel of grace, listen, the gospel of grace makes dead people alive. It makes unrighteous people righteous. Those people that have been rejected, the gospel of grace accepts, brings them into the kingdom. It says, you are my child, you are my son, my daughter. There's no better news in this world than the gospel of God's grace for you and for me. Therefore, we should consume it. We should eat it. We should feast on God's grace. And the only reason why we can do that, the only reason why God's grace is available, His unmerited affair, is because of what Jesus has done for us in verse 12. Jesus suffered outside the gate. He was crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Why? To sanctify the people through His blood. That's how we are brought to God. We are brought to God not by eating this food or not eating that food or obeying this command and not obeying this command. We are brought to God through the blood of Christ by believing in what He has done in His life and death and resurrection for us. That's where strength is. That's where grace is. It's found in grace. The altar mentioned in verse 10 is not a reference to a physical table or a piece of furniture. It's a reference to the cross of Christ. It's where Jesus Christ came and all the blessings of His salvation, forgiveness, and grace come through there. The table of the altar of grace is those who believe in the sacrificial work of Christ in the cross. So feast on grace this morning. If you're going through a difficult time, feast on grace. Feast on the grace of God that is offered to you through Christ. That leads us thirdly to our final point. A lifestyle of liturgy it's continued sacrifice. It's continued sacrifice. Look at verses 13 through 16. The author completes his thought with four general applications for us this morning. Four ways in which we can, we can look at the liturgy of our lives and say, like, hey, are these things a part of our life? The first one is this, and we might not like the first one. The first one is, deals with suffering. If you are in Christ, we will be associated with suffering. In particular, the suffering, again, because we identify with Christ. We are associated with Christ. We are joined with Christ at the hip. And because they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you and me. 
Look at verse 13 of Hebrews 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. You see, again, if they persecuted Jesus, if they killed Jesus, if you stand for him, if you're associated with him, if you, if you believe and say the same things that he said, you and I will also be persecuted. We will face suffering. But here's the good news. The good news is because we are free and secure, we've been fully accepted because of what Christ has done for us. We have the guarantee of eternal life. Nothing can snatch us out of our hands. The whole world is shaken around us. We can stand firm on Christ. We know that the joy of unconditional acceptance because of Christ, we are able to endure suffering. We're able to endure suffering. We're able to stand strong and endure suffering because as we remember Jesus, we remember He endured the greatest suffering, the greatest pain that we could, He can endure for us. He paid for our sins. And Romans says if He's done that, if He's, if he's overcome the greatest obstacle, the greatest suffering for us, how much more can we not endure any other suffering that comes our way? We will suffer because we live out the Christian ethics of the kingdom of God when we follow Christ and His teaching and His Word. So don't be surprised if you get canceled for posting something on your social media about the sanctity of life. About marriage between a man and a woman. That you and I can answer the question, what is a woman? What is a man? We can, we can answer that question and say, hey, this is it because this is what Scripture tells us. Or if you lose your job because you reject the notion that you're an oppressor because of the color of your skin. Or you get called narrow-minded, stupid, dumb, because you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to Jesus but through the Father. Oh, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus the Son. Persecution. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find us. It will find us if your life is, is following Christ in His teachings. Secondly, if we are in Christ, we need to keep our eyes fixed on things above. We need to keep our eyes on, fixed on things above. Look at verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We've seen this over and over again since really throughout the book of Hebrews. In particular, it was highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. The, the Old Testament saints, though they didn't see or receive the promise, they looked forward to the city that was to come. That we are on a journey again through this Genesis 3 world on our way to a Revelation 21 world. And we have the need to have the same mindset that Moses had. Moses said this in Hebrews 11, verse 25 and 26. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. He kept his eyes on the, the reward to come, the things above, not on the world below. And the reward is heavenly Jerusalem. The reward is God. The reward is Jesus. The reward is to, again, that, that scene in Revelation chapter 4 and 7 where every tribe and every tongue and multitudes, millions upon millions of men, women, and children are around the throne room of grace worshiping Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
That's when we finally get to Revelation chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth, where there is no more sin, there is no more death, there is no more suffering, there is no more injustice, that the Lord is making all things new and we get to experience the joy and we get to see Jesus face to face. That's where we need to keep our eyes. We need to keep our eyes on things above as we are moving through this world. Third and fourth, if we are to continue, if we are to, again, live a, a lifestyle of liturgy, of worship in Christ, we are continually offering up our worship through our lips and our lives, through what we say and what we do, through word ministry and work ministry. Look at verse 15. He says, through Him let us continually, ongoing, daily, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledges His name. So how do we do that? How do we worship God with our lips? Well, it's not, you guys know what we do. Uh, we, we pray. The first thing we do is we pray. That's the greatest gift that God has given us to enter into His presence is prayer. So we seek the Lord through prayer. We close the door behind us and we go into our closet and we lift up our prayers to God, our supplications, our praises, our petitions. We pray. We praise. We sing. And God, not only do we speak, but we sing. God has given us that great, great gift of singing and song. Some commentators think that in, in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, that the way that, that Adam and Eve communicated was through song, was through singing. We sing. We lift up our voices, whether they sound good or whether they sound bad. We lift them out. We praise the Lord through song. What it talks about in Ephesians and Colossians, where it talks about when we come together, we are, we are worshiping the Lord by singing to Him, but we're also encouraging one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. As we say over and over, when I sit in the front row and I hear you guys singing about the gospel and you're singing out loud, it encourages my heart to sing out loud. That we are confessing through song that Jesus is better. And that's how we do it. We, we, we praise the Lord through singing. Through the preaching of the gospel, not only from the, from the pulpit, but you preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis and to others. Through encouraging one another and rebuking one another. We, 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 we worship the Lord continuously. He is pleased when we worship Him as we speak, as we say. And fourthly, verse 16, do not neglect. Do not neglect. This, this seems to be sometimes maybe back then in the early church that, that people were neglecting this. And the author reminds them to you and to me, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Share your life, your time, your talents, your treasures. With those in the body, first do good to the household of faith and those outside the body. That will be counter-cultural in our world. Back in the, in the day of the Romans when the Black Plague was going on and it was devastating the Roman, uh, the Roman nation, the thing that made the Christians stand out is they went into the ghettos and served those with the, the diseases that was going on, that was spreading. They sacrificed their health to love on those that were less fortunate. And people were amazed by that and came to saving faith. Your actions make a difference. 
as Maximus says, your actions will echo in eternity. And that is true. It's the one another's of Scripture. And as I look at a lot of your faces in here, over the last 12 years that the crossing has been a church, I'm just amazed at the grace of God in your life and in my life and what God has done through you impacting this city. Impacting the individuals of this city and families of this city. I'm amazed at the grace of God. And I know it's God's grace because I'm by nature not a very giving person. And that's why I have my wife, Rita. She is a giver. And through her generosity, through her desire to bless, has changed my heart. And that's what, that's what worship looks like. That's what sacrifice looks like. And that's what you guys have done over and over and over again. I can think of hundreds and hundreds of examples. But let me just put out, put out two bookends. One, just the last year when we sent Chad Barlow and Audrey out, he was a church plant intern here for two years. You guys know that this body and others raised $30,000, or I think about $30,000 for him to go buy a new house. That's sacrifice. That's love. To this, this past week, again, going through some difficult times, and I tell my guys, and I have guys and individuals in this church following up with me, hey, how you doing, Aaron? How can I be praying for you? That, that's what this verse is talking about. That is doing good. And everything in between those bookends. This body is amazing in how it serves and does good and shares what you have. And when you do that, do you know what the effect is? It says right there, look at verse six, 16 again. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. It pleases God. And I know, and I know most of you, your, your heart, your desire is to please God. And, your heart, and, and you do please God when you share what you have. Your time, your talents, your treasures. You share it. It pleases God. It brings Him joy. Why? Because His image bearers are imaging what we're supposed to image. God's grace. God's love. God's mercy. When people see us doing these things to one another and to others around in this community, God is glorified. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before others so that they may, what? See your good works and give your Father in heaven glory. Your good works, your actions matter. They make a difference for eternity. So these are the, the, the four ways in which he ends this author a liturgy of life, a lifestyle of liturgy. Now we're going to suffer because we name the name of Christ, <clears throat> that we are going to um, keep our eyes fixed on heaven, and that we, through our lips and through our lives, we will worship Him through our time, talent, and treasure. Therefore, let us, let us take these truths as we walk out these doors and be impacted by Jesus, the better priest, the better king, the better prophet, the better sacrifice on our behalf, the better mediator. And let's go out and, and let our lives glorify God through a, a liturgy and a lifestyle of worship. Let me leave you with this last final thought, this quote. The fire to do, 
worship God in the Christian life comes only from being soaked in the fuel of what He has done. His grace. Amen? The fire to do in the Christian life comes only through being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. The grace of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the fuel. Lord, You and You alone are the one that fuels our lives. Our lives are strengthened by the grace of God. So let us be a people that feast daily on Your Word, on the Gospel, informed by Your Word, empowered by Your Spirit, so that we can walk, live, talk about the glories of God. And when people look around and they see our lives, they notice something is different. And that difference is you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.